right now on the Ringer Gambling Feed and all throughout the entire month of August, the East Coast Bias Boys are getting you ready to bet the NFL this season. We're going through each and every single division and revealing our favorite futures, predicting division winners, and even giving you some award winners. Do we think the Kansas City Chiefs will repeat or will they be dethroned? Tune in now to find out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Chat. I am Justin Barrier, and joining me, taking themselves away from chasing that Saudi money, is Rob Mahoney. <laughs> Big Wise, what's up, boys? I, I'm happy to announce this podcast is not sponsored by any kind of sovereign wealth fund. Unfortunately. I yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if Waz is, is excited about that. Waz can't be bought. I can, I can guarantee it. One way listen, or another, that number goes up listen, high enough, man. we're having a conversation. Listen, man, I, I will never say that I can't be bought, but it won't be cheap. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, our friend Jalen Brown uh, did not get that Saudi money, but he did get a lot of money. We'll talk about that. Uh, we're going to get into some mailbag action later on. Thank you to everyone for sending your questions over the past few days. Uh, but we should probably start there w- with Brown. Uh, $304 million over five years. It is a Supermax extension. Uh, it is the richest contract in NBA history. Uh, Waz, why don't, why don't we start with you here? Uh, it's a lot of money for a guy who ostensibly is a second option. And I think if uh, if you're a pessimist on Brown, you might even say even lower than that. Um, what, do you think the Celtics, is this a good deal for the Celtics? Are you, are you more cynical or do you think this is something that had to get done for them if they wanted to keep competing? I don't think it's good, bad, or any of that. I think this is what's necessary. You've put together a team that makes it to the conference finals or the finals every single season, and it's built around two young wings. And that costs. It's the most premium position in the league. The guy made third team All-NBA. 
in the NBA Finals that you guys went to, he was your best player with a bullet um, in the Finals that you lost in six games. Like, this is just obvious. I, like, I, I've been reading and seeing and listening to some of the hand-wringing around the deal where I'm just like, did we have these special podcasts when Carl Towns got the same deal to lead a team to what? Trade for um, a, a guy who plays his position that makes just as much money as him? I mean, like, I, I don't see how Jalen Brown's deal is, is any worse. It's way better than Carl Towns. And nobody sort of batted an eyelid. And the bottom line is, like, this is how much it costs to keep a contender together. What I would direct people to, and again, the Celtics have had a lot less success than the team that I'm about to mention, but it reminds me of the Klay Thompson deal. When he got $200 million off of an ACL, or excuse me, off of a torn Achilles, and it's just like, look, he's the second best player on a team that won a championship, you know, won 67, 63 games, like... That's what it costs to keep those kinds of teams together. And to me, the cost is more than justified and warranted. Um, and at no point in this deal will people look at Jalen Brown as like, no, nah, you can't pay to bring in Jalen Brown to do what he does on that money. That's It's absurd. Like, this is just the money. I get the sticker shock. I understand the sticker shock is real, especially for fans and how fast these salaries are going up. I just wish we could post the earnings of the Celtics owner this year um, or, you know, any other owner within the NBA. And we could just post how much they make every single year from the team for what they do. Um, and I think we'd be having a much different conversation about this. Yeah, this is what you should be spending money on if you're a winning franchise, if you're a franchise that's trying to take itself seriously. And I think we all have some questions and some concerns about the Celtics just like as a team to varying degrees. But I imagine we can all agree here that this is a team that as constructed could win the championship, right? Easily. Then what are we talking about? Like this well, is what you pay, as Waz said, to keep a team like that together. Yeah, I think the difference between Towns and Brown is Brown has slowly become the symbol for or the tension point for the Boston Celtics. If you think that they are being held back and could be better, like you would say like, oh, well, Brown is, is the source, but that's where you need to improve. Hmm. Your second best player has to be on a certain level. And he wasn't that specifically last postseason. Uh, whereas with Towns, there's no, there's no actual conflict there. It, it's actually a, a product of the Celtics success and prominence because we need someone to blame and it tends to be Brown. Let me ask you something, though. Let me ask you something. Could the, could the Timberwolves not win 38 games without Carl uh, Anthony Towns? Is that something they could achieve without Carl Towns? I think they could. But yet they paid him $60 million a year for the right to still be there. Like, I, I, like to me, the Towns deal is 100% worse. Even the Brad Beal deal, where it's like when you're healthy and you're cooking, you're a guy who leads our team to the green pastures of 41 wins. And that's allegedly is something that people should want to pay for. I'd like this Jalen Brown. It's just obvious that this guy should be making this. I, I like, I don't even, I don't even see the conflict and the idea that he's the tension point and not the savior, the golden child, everybody's favorite, um, Jason Tatum and his performances in playoffs. It, I find that to be laughable. You know, well, I think they both could stand to be much better 
um, in their play in postseason. And, and the idea that Brown has sort of been holding them back and everybody else has just been firing on all cylinders in the biggest games and moments, I, I find that to be kind of a, a bit ridiculous. No disrespect. Yeah, I do think I want to make a distinction there. I don't know if anyone is necessarily saying that Brown himself doesn't deserve that, especially on this podcast. If only because like yeah. a contract is what you can negotiate. Basically, it's market price. It isn't really a sh- like an example of like your quality as a player. It's almost like when we talk about Vegas odds as if it's like uh, a direct reflection of a team's win loss projection. It's actually what people are willing to bet on. Yeah. Right. So it's it's a little warped in that. I think the the question is like, could you do the Celtics need a better number two first and foremost, or could they approximate what Brown has given to them with, at a lower cost? I don't necessarily agree. I'm I'm more in line with Waz's, but that I think is at least a credible debate. Do they need a better number two? I think the answer is no. Could they use one? I mean, sure. Like if that option is available, depending on the kind of player. But honestly. If anything, we focused like, you know, the, the Tatum Brown thing has been going around for so long now about like, do these guys complement each other enough? Are they a good enough fit together? And we we wrung our hands so much about them before they got to the finals. And the fact that we're like still kind of having that debate in this conversation now, I, I don't really get like they are too consistently successful. They do play well enough in concert. <sighs> that I think they've earned the right to have like a little bit of room for error here, a little bit of leeway here. Like you get to the conference finals over and over, you get that luxury. You get a little more time. These guys are still young, are still successful, are still wildly productive together. I just don't see any real problem here other than the sticker shock, as you're saying, Justin, of people thinking of who Jalen Brown is in their heads and specifically the last time we saw him and how rough he looked, juxtaposed with the idea that he's going to be paid like damn near $70 million in the last year of this of this extension. Like, yes, that is a, a weird thing to come to terms with, but it's really not going to be that weird in 2029, to be honest with you. Like, I, I think where Jalen Brown is now and what the Celtics need now, this makes all the sense in the world. They, they had to do this. Okay, but here's my problem with the the sort of counterpoint that J- Justin is just, he's just presenting the counterpoint. Right. Like, you know, what critics might say of the deal. Let's mm-hmm. just talk about real, actual players who are non-premium wings who make significantly less than 50-something million dollars a year. Let's just go Wiggins. Would you make that deal? Do you, Are the Celtics just as good with Andrew Wiggins? No. On a 25 to $30 million deal? Hell no. no they're not. I disagree. I don't think it would be a huge difference. So you think Andrew Wiggins is capable of being the, the, like the second most important one-on-one creator, initiator of offense um, on a team that that goes to the finals that isn't manned by one of the 15, 10 best players in the history of, of life? I think you could argue that the Celtics aren't optimized by having Jalen in that role. I think you, what... You, if you had a number three, I see Wiggins is actually a bad example, if only because he makes so much money. But if Wiggins was making like the mid level and you got Wiggins's production, I think you could but, have but a very Justin, good team. But Justin, that's the thing. The, <laughs> no, but, that's, but see, this is this is the point. Andrew Wiggins is his quality at his position is such. You can't get players like Andrew Wiggins at the mid-level. We no. call Mikhail, let's take another well, guy. That's a different Mikhail, conversation then. Yeah. But I'm just saying, we call Mikhail Bridges a bargain. At his price, do you think he comes in here and replaces Jalen Brown and they're better? He's a bargain at 25. So that means the mid-level... I 
Uh, yeah, I think I think Mikhail, the the Celtics would be about as good with Mikael Bridges. Yes, wholly disagree. Coley. So what's the what is the difference between what Bridges gives versus Brown? I, I I guess I'm I'm like, is it just like the the dribble, like the creation? Is it the yes? If if defense is keyed in on on Mikael Bridges and we're like, yo, like our game plan is predicated on making sure this guy doesn't beat us, it's not going to happen. He had a nice run at the end of the season. I'm a Mikael Bridges fan. Let's not get it twisted. But he's not an All NBA kind of wing. He's just not. I think you're discounting how much the Celtics collective is attributable for their success. Like Tatum's a star and Brown is very good. But I also think like having White, having like Horford, all these other guys in the mix is part of their advantage. It's that they're so deep and so versatile and, and have so many different two-way players. So like it is in some instances like a contextual thing that diminishes Brown's value but, but, versus but like if he was on Portland, for instance, like maybe he would have an opportunity to be a different type of player. And those skill sets that he brings wouldn't be as duplicative as they tend to be on the Celtics. That's but what the I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that Mikhail Bridges is considered way undervalued at 25 mil per. So that means people think his value is about 35 to $40 million a year. So if he was getting his true value on the Celtics, that's what I'm saying. Like, this idea that you could come in and get some bargain basement thing. Let's, like, even at the bargain, there is no bargain basement wing number two. That, like, that doesn't no. exist. A Cam, six foot Cam eight Johnson, guy, Cam Johnson is making $25 million now. Like, this, well, I think this we're is having, more- I think we're having two separate conversations now. Are we saying that the Celtics could replicate Jalen Brown's value with another player? I'm saying yes. But you're also saying those players tend to get paid a lot, which I, I agree with. Yeah, like that is market price for those players. And so, like, I don't think you could argue with the contract itself. I think if you were to have issues with it, if I were to have issues with it, I do think it is because of the long term problems it creates. And part of that is also because of the Celtics books, which we can get into. I think you're underselling some uh, when you make the argument that guys like Jalen benefit from the aggregate of what the Celtics are, right? All these supporting guys you laid out. The kinds of players you pay in the NBA, the real stars, are the guys who can benefit from good supporting casts, who know how to play with the Al Horfords, who know how to play with the Derek Whites, who augment what they do and in turn benefit from them. Like what you're describing when you lay that out to me is a star. Like that is a star guy. If you can play alongside other good players and put up 27 a game on near 50% shooting, that's a pretty damn good resume. Like that's a pretty a pretty compelling case for him to be this kind of guy. Yeah, it's it's a complicated discussion. I mean, part of it I do think is because of the overlap between Tatum and Brown. I'm not one person who thinks this is Simmons and Embiid part two, right? But I do think there are certain elements there where it takes more to fit them together. Like I was a person who was like, we're at the point where they need something else in order to clean up the mess. They keep finding themselves. And I thought that would be a bulletproof ball handler. Those are actually very tough to find. I mean, it's basically Chris Paul, Mike Conley. They don't really make like just rock solid pass first point guards anymore. And so that proved difficult and they happened to go to Porzingis, which like at the very least, it's an interesting chemistry experiment, but that does bring into the financial element where like now you're, you have Porzingis on an extension. You have Brown on his extension. Tatum is due a super max likely being signed next year would kick in the following year. And so you have a lot invested in this core. And I just don't see long term how they could all fit together. 
Now Porzingis could easily be the one that they get rid of instead of Brown. But they are kind of forcing themselves to make the most of this window next one or two years. I wonder if that's actually the worst case scenario for a team like the Celtics, who, as we saw this past postseason, like not the best under pressure. And so they are almost pressurizing the situation more purely by signing Brown to this deal. Where I would push back against this, this way of thinking is, did you watch the Bucs in the playoffs last year? I mean, like, the, the, their competition is not exactly sterling here. Not in my opinion. Even the Sixers, who took these guys to the freaking brink, I don't think they've gotten better. I'm not, I don't think their position long-term is better than the Celtics. Um, there's a team that we're going to talk about with some young guys who, you know, people think very highly of. Do we think they're marching up the Eastern Conference and, you know, they, the Celtics should be quaking in their boots? I don't Hornets? see a team. <laughs> Big magic guy Jones in, season. Magic in your case. <laughs> Um, I don't see a team that the Celtics should look at and be like, man, long term, why would we lock into this? Because these other teams are just going to blow us out the water. I'm not seeing it. I think well, this Bucks thing, sure, maybe, maybe, yeah. if, if if and when the Dame deal finally goes through. Yeah. I think this Bucks thing is, is pretty much over after this year. I, I really do. I don't think that thing is a long term, you know, fighting machine. Uh, I sure. think... How you know that, again, somebody comparable to Jalen Brown, Chris Middleton, how you know he's not it. He, not only did he, you know, opt out of the deal, he signed for less annual money. It's an acknowledgement. I'm getting worse at Jalen Brown's position. Like, who are these other teams that the Celtics should look and be like, nah, our core isn't secure enough. We maybe shouldn't be thinking this way. To me, it's just obvious that they, what they've built is good enough to beat anybody when they actually, you know, have their heads out of their asses. Yeah, I th- I think part of why which is rare, Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of why I'm I'm not so pessimistic about the idea of the Celtics being pressurized in that way is just for that reason, right? Like they are in a unique position to kind of make every other Eastern Conference team prove it, right? They have shown how far they can get in the playoffs. They're going to like you can look at the Sixers. You can look at the Heat, even given their circumstances with the potential Dame trade on the horizon. You can look at the Cavs. You can look at the Knicks. You could look at any team with the Bucks. All those teams have a lot to prove, have a lot to show. And you can put yourself in a pretty good like default position by having Jalen Brown on your team and by rolling back this same group that we know can be successful, that we know can be pretty consistent, that yeah, it's going to have some spotty moments in the playoffs, but all of these teams are going to have spotty moments in the playoffs. And of all the teams on the board, Boston still feels like the safest bet. And that's not the kind of thing you just like bail on over, you know, trying to like reinvent the wheel, basically. Yeah, no, I think we all are in agreement that the Celtics are a title contender for next season. I think there is an open question, though, whether what happened this offseason galvanizes them and makes them better or makes it more complicated. I guess there's a, there's a, a very real timeline where it makes them better, but it also makes things more complicated because you lose smart, who has been the emotional totem for that team, good or bad for a while. And also like you've injected a lot of injury concerns with Porzingis. And it's like, you're kind of hoping like, it's almost like a coin flip where like, Oh, if Horford's hurt, then then Robert Williams is going to be healthy or, or Chris Tops is going to be healthy. There's a very dark timeline where all three of them are out. And then you you factor in Malcolm Brogdon, who they couldn't trade this offseason because of his injury concerns. And so, like, I think they're at a late stage contender sort of issue 
where they're still a very good team who could easily win the NBA title, but a lot of the things on the margins are getting way more difficult than they were a few years ago. I guess this is what happens when team age and, and certain things start to happen there. And so I would view them in the East as just as much of a contender as the Bucks. Maybe not the Sixers until we figure that out. Definitely the Heat where if they get Dame. And so like, I think they're in the mix. I don't think they've separated themselves from those other teams. I'm not even saying that they're the favorite, just that they're the safest bet of all those teams. Given that they don't yeah. have the, like they don't have the James Harden thing looming over them, they don't have the question of sure. like if they're even going to get Dame. They are a contender. They do have all those injury concerns, as you said, and they they worry me quite a lot. But they're still in a pretty good position to adapt, at least to to one or two injuries if they do happen. Yeah. Again, I just and I said it after the season, like decided that the Celtics should blow quote unquote blow things up or move on or whatever. You just have to believe they're capable of playing better than they did against the Heat. You just have to think that this is possible. Because there were just moments where these guys were so freaking embarrassing and so clearly playing below their obvious talent level. And so, I don't know, man. To me, this is is not the same as running back the, the Al Horford Hawks, right? Like... This is not the same as as the the Gilbert Arenas Wizards or you know some of the teams that we saw in the past. Hell, man, this is this is bigger than grit and grind. You know, a team that I always point to that never really did anything major per se, but they were there every year, and I thought it was smart that they kept their core together for as long as they can. The Celtics are a more accomplished group than that, and their talent upside is higher than that. So to me, it seems obvious that they should be making this move. I, I think they're as well positioned. Their next five years are as bright as anybody in the Eastern Conference. Anybody. I put them against any single entity in the Eastern Conference. Like, if you want to say in the next five years, let's tally up playoff and regular season wins combined. Who you got? Who would you bet to beat Boston um, in that race? Nobody. Have you been to Disney World lately? There's, oh, there's a Lord team down have there. Mercy. Here we go. <laughs> no, I think I think Boston's next two to three years are probably better than probably most teams in the NBA. I, I think it gets very complicated once Tatum's Supermax eventually kicks in. I think I don't think there's a way that both Brown and Tatum exist together on the same team beyond that. And if they do, it it requires all sort of like long division and like math that I, I can't comprehend about their books. Yeah, and maybe they aren't, and that's okay. Like, that's the benefit of having two stars, not only who are this good, but who are this young. You, they, they have plenty of time to, to recontextualize the whole team around those two or, again, to trade one of them down the line. They're, but these next two or three years, I think they have put themselves in a position to be really successful. They owe themselves the chance to try to see this thing through with this core more or less intact. I know, you know, we've already seen Marcus Smart go, and I'm sure we'll see some other pieces kind of jettisoned off if they continue to hit walls along the way. But they're close enough. And if you're close enough in the NBA, you got to take these kinds of swings. And sometimes they're going to be very, very expensive to do. Yeah, I think we'll look back on this offseason and say that this is where the Celtics made their move. I feel like the past two years, they had all of these options, right? They had young players coming to the fore. They bring in Malcolm Brogdon. They're throwing around picks like they haven't before under Brad Stevens. This offseason, they kind of calcified who they will be for the probably the next two to three years. 
And that's a very good team. And I, I probably would have done the same. The Porzingis deal was a little interesting. Uh, I, I'm curious to see how that works. I'm generally an optimist about that, but I'm not 100% sure. But th- like they've, they've made their bed at this point, and, and we'll see what happens. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue, a surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland, watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. All right. Uh, unless you guys have anything else about Andrew Wiggins or, or Mikhail Bridges, uh, should we turn to the mailbag here? Let's do it. Um, all right. Mailbag. Thank you, everyone, for sending in your questions. I think it's only appropriate that we we start with the number one super fan of group chat, who is uh, Betsy Cast Money, the the only good fan on on Twitter. We we appreciate your uh, your your feedback. Always always very uh, constructive and opinionated in the right way. I'll say that. That feels backhanded in some way. What do you, what do you? I don't know. Maybe that's it's, just. Maybe it's, it's just it's damning with faint praise, calling somebody the best fan on Twitter. I mean, come <laughs> on. I feel like maybe I just read things into Verrier's tone sometimes, but it, it it seemed backhanded. You wouldn't be the only one. No, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Betsy. We appreciate you. Is that better? That's better. Yes, it's that's fantastic. Sing songy. I I appreciate you, Betsy. Um, you wouldn't be the okay, only now, one. Okay, now now we're mocking again. <laughs> I overcorrected. Um, all right, what's the best case scenario ending to the Harden standoff for Philly? In parentheses, trade him team friendly extension something else if their plan is actually to create cap space next summer like maury claims who's the ideal target to make a gap year in air quotes actually worthwhile uh, rob what, what do you think about the first part of that question what's the best case scenario for the hardened standoff if we can call it that well i think both parts of this question are pretty related because the best case scenario is they trade harden for a no development or assembly required supporting star who can play with Joel, who's ready to go, who fits with the rest of the team, preferably one who can handle the ball in some capacity. That's the best case scenario. 
you can theoretically go the cap space route and make a deal for like a young player who might not eat into the cap space too much. So you can kind of preserve that option. But um, I feel like that's really tempting fate given where we are right now. I mean, Maury said that the Sixers would be in a position to have, you know, a top player on the roster and add another one in free agency. And that feels like a very presumptive thing to, to say when Joel Embiid is openly daydreaming about the fact of winning a title, whether it's, to borrow his framing in Philadelphia or literally anywhere else. I remember saying this at the time, and I still feel this way. Um, when Harden ended up with the Sixers, everybody's hubris was rewarded, i.e. they all got lucky. Nobody wanted Ben Simmons because he clearly isn't good. I was saying that at the time. I think the rest of the world is caught up with this idea that he's just not an NBA player anymore. Uh, Harden had nowhere to go. Like, Brooklyn was just like, bro, this is this is crazy. And Maury's whole hardball, like, oh, I can just hold on to this guy forever. And blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, you held on to him for James Harden, who's been trashed in the playoffs two years in a row. Congratulations. Everybody lost. Um, okay, I think, tr- trash, again, trash with an asterisk. James Harden had some good games, as, yes, as previously discussed. Two good games. He had two good games in this year's playoffs. But in the most important moments, you know, when his do-or-die situation, he turned into a pumpkin again. Tough, yeah. Uh, You know, the tough talk that Maury's doing on local radio about, oh, we wouldn't move this guy unless we got another star in return. You know, even pretending that everybody else didn't, you know, didn't have cable last year and couldn't watch Harden in the playoffs and don't know what this guy actually brings to a team. He's not that level of player anymore. The idea that people would want to give up real stuff for a guy who won, you know, this isn't 2018 where he could put a team on his back and could do that. So we know he's diminished physically um, and his play has just suffered because of it. And two, he's been a head case at three consecutive stops, you put those two things together, you have no leverage in a James Harden deal, right? And so that's why I know the best case scenario is that James Harden ultimately comes back and tries to play for a new deal. That's it. He he realizes that it's do or die for his next and last big contract in the NBA, and he's a good soldier, shows up to camp in shape, busts his ass all season, you know, finds it in his soul to not throw up all over himself in the playoffs next season and looks like a quality playoff type of player. And he gets a deal that's worth a hundred million, you know, for three years in the summer. And and Maury gets his cap space and allegedly two new superstars come and that's it. That's that's the ideal. Nothing else is happening, is coming of this. It's not gonna happen. He's coming See, back and he's gonna have to earn a new deal. I don't disagree with your critique of the Ben Simmons fiasco, whatever that was. They all but got ultima- lucky. Well, I wonder if a similar blueprint would ultimately be the best case scenario yet again, because if we're saying that Harden needs to show up and play in order to ultimately get what he wants, either at the trade or before the trade deadline or maybe in the offseason, just getting a deal with another team, can more convince him to do that and then just wait out until another disgruntled superstar, a la James Harden in Brooklyn, comes free. Like, for instance, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both have player options for next summer. 
We'll see if they come to agreement on extensions before then, but it seems unlikely. Let's just say Kawhi won't come on Paul George's podcast. George is upset, wants a trade. All of a sudden, boom, bang. Now he is the guy going to the playoffs with Embiid. I'm just saying, like, I don't know who it is, also, but that seems like a better from, bet. So the upgrade from Harden is two guys who haven't finished the last three seasons. I mean, maybe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, cool. Paul George has been decent in the playoffs when he's available. I'll say that. But there is like there said, is some there is something to this in the sense that because Harden is going to be on an expiring deal if he stays, it does position the Sixers to trade for guys who are also in the last year of their deals or also have player options who could be flight risks, right? Because you're just weighing one risk against the other. It's not like they have to find a long-term option if the ultimate result of either path is having cap space on the other side of it. So how, how this potential team solves their dysfunction is by bringing in James Harden. Okay. Word. You're talking about the Clippers? Whoever the team is. Whoever the team that has a dysfunctional situation, disgruntled superstar, whatever, they say, yeah, 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 Harden's going to solve it. I think teams tend to get more desperate in the middle of the season, but I, I don't disagree with you. But right. wouldn't they just be like, can I get some draft picks? Can I get some young guys? Can I get some upside? Can I get something real? Something that isn't washed up James Harden? I mean, with your with your new arena on the way, with your your big hopes and dreams for the Clippers, like there's a lot wrapped up in this. And I think people like us can say you just punt on the sunk cost of them kind of flailing about to this point. But they've invested a lot in that core and trying to make it work. I, I think teams like, the, whether it's the Clippers or some other desperate team come January, February, someone might talk themselves into James Harden. It, it, they've done, teams, NBA teams have done crazier things than that. Yeah, we'll we'll get to this a little later, but there well, are I guess very people did talk themselves into Ben Simmons. So yeah. there you go. I think there are very few teams that are expecting to be bad next season, and so I wonder if that traffic jam ultimately forced that. I mean, God, the Warriors just traded for Chris Paul, who and are ostensibly going to bring him off the bench. Like anything can happen at this point. Um, but. The cap space scenario, I think, is an interesting part of that. Does anybody believe that Daryl Morey is actually thinking two max slots next year, we're going to wait this out, and we're just going to land? I don't even know whom at this point, because the 2024 class isn't particularly appealing, and that's not really how stars get around these days anyway. Yeah, I think it would be using the space for some kind of trade facilitation probably right i i don't think he's envisioning pascal siakam as the ultimate Embiid <laughs> counterpoint but yeah you're right like the fact that there aren't good free agent options available there's like great great complimentary ones unless you want to think about paul george or Kawhi. i don't know it's they are in an extremely difficult spot right now the sixers are i don't know how they get out of it I don't know how they overcome just even just the things that have already been plaguing them, much less this new group of problems, whether it's from Harden or Embiid or now from both. Uh, they're, in, they're in a really rough spot. I don't believe anything Daryl Morey says in public. <laughs> I, I just don't. I, and, and to his credit, he shouldn't be coming out and being transparent about how he plans on making his team better. That's counterproductive. It would be counterproductive to do so. Um, again, but that being said, and knowing Daryl Morey, uh, it, it's it's ridiculous. The, don't you guys remember when he traded for Westbrook and said all these beautiful things about him? These people are paid to lie to us all the time. Like I, I don't believe anything this guy's saying. So if he's saying, "Oh, we're we're 
uh, you know, we're gearing up for two max slots. And it's like, all right, I'm sure they're thinking about trying to get some other de- thing done to make the team better around Joel. If Daryl is paid to lie to us, what are we paid for? <laughs> I don't are, think are we, we want to go down that road. The truth, Rob. Are, are, are we the, the truth. Give the people the fact. We're journalists. Truly. Um, right. Did you guys see Embiid's photos from his wedding, by the way? No. I got to say, like, I do feel like the one great differentiator between an acquaintance and an actual friend is a wedding invitation. Mm. And I feel like we learned a lot about who is in Embiid's inner circle. Who was from there? Those. Did not see our friend James Harden. I'll say that. It was uh, George Niang. I think I saw DeAnthony Melton at some point. Tobias Harris. I forgot who else. I, Ime Adoka, I believe, was there. So Interesting. Something to file away. I will say, I bet George Niang gets a lot of wedding invites. It just seems like a good hang. You know, he seems like a guy a lot of people like. He might be the heir apparent to DeAndre Jordan, honestly. <laughs> honestly, it's a, good, it's a good gig if you can get it. Um, all right, this is semi-related. Our next question. I to, saw that, uh, Ben, by the way. <laughs> uh this is from two weeks with pay on Twitter, uh, ignoring Philly's state of flux right now. So I guess it, not including Philly, which contenders clock is ticking the fastest if they don't make at least the NBA finals this year. Wise, who do you think? Uh, if we're ignoring Philly and their turmoil, I would say it's the Bucks. It's, it's gotta be. It's gotta be the Bucks, right? Um, I don't. I don't think Giannis is like some flight risk to leave. However, if they have, if they flame out again, and the only real success they've ever had was just this fluky nonsense slate okay, that they faced okay. in twenty twenty one. I think I think the 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 conception of this team is on the like they gotta try something different. Yeah, yeah. If they don't get past the second round this year, they have to try something drastically different than what's going on right now. So to me, that's the Bucks. Um, and and I'm gonna be real with y'all, man. Like I, I just when the Bucks in the playoffs, they they just not my bag. I, look, they got Adrian Griffin now. Presumably, he's gonna go about his business a lot differently than Budenholzer did. And I think that would be a fantastic thing if they did, particularly um, in the playoffs. But if this thing doesn't work with this group of guys, again, man, they, they got to they gotta do something. But even listen to what you're saying. You know, you're saying that the clock is ticking around everything but Giannis, right? Like they could always yeah. just kind of reshuffle those pieces, yeah. try a different kind of team. Our good friends, the Clippers, do not have that option. Mm. Right. I, I think mm. I think it, they are by far the loudest, the fastest ticking team like their clock is deafening at this point. And it's because it's for two reasons. One, they haven't accomplished basically anything. They don't even have it. In your words was the fluky championship <laughs> to, to like rest their laurels on or have faith in. They have one trip to the conference finals in four years and no momentum whatsoever to speak of. The second reason is the clock is ticking on both sides because the organization could throw its hands up and say, we are just done doing the Paul George Kawhi thing. And Paul George and Kawhi could opt out, decline their options, hit free agency and say like, you know what? We gave this a try. It's just not for us. And that fact alone, that there's mutual decision-making on both sides means like something has to happen. 
or else nice. this thing is going to fall apart. Rob, I, the, here's, the, here's the thing. Here's where the only way that I'll disagree with you, and it's sort of a semantic thing. Stop calling the Clippers contenders. They're not. Get that out of here. They're done. Get them say? out. We did this dumb shit last year. All at, oh, they're going to be so tough in the playoffs. Oh, the depth of this team. Oh, my God. They're so deep. Oh, Kawhi's looking amazing since he came back. And Kawhi is. <laughs> oh, when Paul George comes back to this thing, it's going to be crazy. Oh, my God. The Clippers. They're, they're, this is not a real team, y'all. The like two guys that... I like how you're mixing in multiple different voices now. It's yeah, not just the yeah, one just, whiny blogger. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. different regions. Yeah, yeah. You can, a you real can tell I've, I've been hanging out with normies <laughs> recently because I've been watching a lot of Stephen A. recently. Um, but but no, the, the Clippers are a fake team. This is not a contender. This is a paper team. This team exists strictly on paper. Their two best players are never there. Again, People need to remember this. Kawhi Leonard, since he's been with the Clippers, has finished one playoff series. I'm at one playoff run, excuse me, when they flamed out against my Nuggets. That's the only time. 2020 is the only time he's finished a playoff run. And in between that, in between today and 2020, when he flamed out, it's just been can't play in the regular season, can't finish in the playoffs. Paul George never plays. He's also not finished. I think at least two times he hasn't been able to finish in the playoffs. So like this team exists on paper. You look at the lineup, you know, you go on NBA.com and you look at rosters and you say, wow, that's a pretty interesting roster. Wow. I like the young guys. I like Kenya Martin's kid. Oh my God. This is interesting. When you look at the roster on NBA.com in real life, this is not a contender. This is not a championship threat. This is, a, this is a wounded, falling apart team. I don't know why we're pretending that this year is some make or break. They've been broken already. They're done. Crazy glue can't fix it. Nothing's going to fix it. Dr. James Andrews can't fix it. Cleo the psychic couldn't <laughs> fix it. They're done, guys. Yeah, but otherwise, they're pretty we're good. Done. <laughs> they got a lot going on. <laughs> I think if you're a Clippers optimist, the case is that when Kawhi and Paul George do play, 67 win percentage, which extrapolated over a full NBA season, last NBA season, they would have been third. That's the case for them. Problem, they've only played 40%. Wait, you said, 50, you said 57? 67. Six, oh, seven, one. Okay, okay, that's that, a yeah, beautiful yeah. winning percentage. That's, that's very nice. Championship quality winning percentage there. Yeah. Only played 40% of the Clippers games together. And you assume Kawhi maybe not healthy at the start of the season. Who knows? He won't tell or us. More, or, won't or, tell the team. or more accurately said, because this is what happens more often, 60% of the Clippers games, they don't have their two best players. LeBron and AD, just for sake of comparison, fifty three percent of the games together. Yeah, so I'm, that was I'm, that was Barry Bonds's record breaking um, on base percentage, y'all. <laughs> when he got like two hundred intentional walks, that that's the Clippers right there. Uh, so all uh, Paul George needs is just like one of those like elbow shields that Bonds had, and mm. maybe he'll make it through a season. Um, so I also had the Clippers and the Bucks down for you. Uh, the Bucks, I don't know if anyone's taking a look at their books these days. So Drew Holiday has a player option for not next season, but the season after that. So next summer, basically. Uh, and I don't know if you guys caught this at some point during the season. 
he said that he wants to retire after this contract. He's only 33 years old. He would be 34 going into that player option year. <laughs> this, this might end sooner than anybody realized because maybe Drew just like goes and does charity work for the rest of his life. That, that's like a that's a realistic possibility. Look, if you can this, retire at 34, I respect it. Drew Holiday, do your thing. Respect yeah. it. But this might also be a play to get, you know, um, MBS involved. You know, this this might be a way to get the Saudis MBS? involved. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Maybe he was ahead of the game there. Um, so the season after that, 2025-26, the Bucks literally do not have a guaranteed contract on their books. Giannis, Middleton, Portis, Connaughton, all player options. Marjan Beauchamp, team option, classic. By the way, that like, Middleton, that Middleton play option, that's getting picked up. <laughs> probably is getting picked up. So, so they might have Middleton and Bobby Portis as their yeah. two pillars for that season. And then it's just non-guaranteed contracts. They don't even have a team in three years, essentially. And so at a certain point, like, yeah, I, I still think there is a possibility where they could, they could do some damage this season, but man, the darkest timeline creeps in very, very quickly. But that's two full seasons before all those options kick in, right? I mean, unless Drew goes on like a, a permanent vacation. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I hear your concern. I just think like for an immediate contender, that's too far out to be the the fastest 100%. ticking clock. Yeah. The Clippers, the Clippers could completely implode by, you know, January 1st. And and the thing, and, and the reason why the Clippers is the fastest, what's Kawhi's timeline? You guys laugh when that even, that's not a thing. You don't know when he's coming back. You don't know why he had the surgery. You don't know. You don't know how his rehab's going. You don't know, like, the, like it's it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. Like, just think about that. Like, this guy is, like, one of the five best players, six best players in the NBA when he's right. We just have no idea when he's coming back to, to bring his team to the promised land. I'll say this. Someone who's who's just dinging the Clippers, it seems like the, the rest days we've had in between pods is really up your game. I'll say that. <laughs> Was bringing it today. I'm just sick of Clippers <laughs> talk. I'm just sick of them. I like. I'm. I'm. I, I say this all the time, but like, my lord, just the all the Clippers, all the Clippers. How did they do it? Oh, how did they sneak? Okay, this Ka- this Kawhi voice Leonard? is this voice is getting very Trumpy all of a sudden. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Um. All right, let's uh let's pivot to our next questions here. Num- number three, Reed Jones on Twitter. Uh, where would you like to see some of the last remaining big name free agents go? Now, big name might be stretching it. Yeah, pretty relative. Um, but I, I just looked at the the hoops height list of best available players, and, and these are the guys on there. You guys just call out the ones you want to address. Christian Wood, PJ Washington, Kelly Oubre, John Wall, and then a potpourri of the likes of Jalen Noel, Terrence Ross, Jermichael Green, TJ Warren, et cetera, et cetera. Rob, do any of these guys, this is a question Taylor made for you, any of these guys feel like uh, you're intrigued by? I mean, I'm intrigued by all of them to varying degrees. Uh, will Christian Wood be in the NBA next season is yes. becoming an interesting little plot line. In the I NBA? Think, I, I think that that's tough. Do, do you, are you sure I he's going to be? I think so. I, I sure? think with, with, when you consider his knuckleheadedness, it's not the talent. It's like who wants to bring that into their situation? Like just think about the Western Conference where 14 out of the 15 teams think they're like a serious team this year. Which one of those teams would want to bring Christian Wood into their positive um, outlook that they have on their season? The Lakers. I think that's the, yeah, that's the that's one fair. 
And especially right. the, the issue I think for Christian Wood is most of the teams that need size are not teams that need Christian Wood's particular brand of whatever it is he does. You know, yeah. the Warriors, perfect example. They could really use someone Christian Wood size. They could really not use Christian Wood. The Lakers do need another big to help them get through the season another kind of dynamic player who can complement what they do. And obviously LeBron has a pretty long history of taking like knuckleheaded players under his wing and trying to rehabilitate their careers to some success. We should note, I wouldn't bank on him like revitalizing Christian Woods standing in the league at this point, but you could see the Lakers kind of talking themselves into it. He's the next Michael Beasley in Miami. Yeah, the problem with the Lakers, here we come. (laughs) The problem with the Lakers is that they're betting on Jackson Hayes as their primary backup center. And if you want to like rest AD more and play him some at the four, then it's really just Jackson Hayes and whatever you're getting out of Jared Vanderbilt, who's more of a four still probably at this point. And so if they were more rock solid and had like five years ago, JaVale McGee ready there, then you could take the risk on Christian Wood and hoping that LeBron could like bring him along. Unfortunately, they're kind of betting that Hayes could, could, be that project and to bring on another project only like doubles down on that. And so it's a little bit dicey there, but I do agree that like they're probably the most likely candidate. Those kinds of bets are why they're able to erect trillion dollar casinos in Las Vegas still to this day. <laughs> I would say the Hornets as well. Yeah. Like, you know, what, what, what the fuck are the Hornets doing? What are the, what are the Pistons well, doing? You can always go home. You can go to the Pistons. <laughs> so here's the thing about the Hornets is like their bigs were actually while young, pretty okay defensively over the back half of last season. So I could see Wood as like a counterpoint, right? Like if you want a little more juice from your five or, or even playing some at the four with those guys, I could see it. But man, is Christian Wood not a Steve Clifford player? You know, yeah. just not a, not a good match of personality there. So I, if, if not the Lakers and, you know, if the Hornets can't get on board, then I think you're looking at desperate teams in a couple months if Christian Wood goes unsigned, right? Like, if, if the Bucks decide they need one more big and want some like Bobby Portis insurance, if the Raptors don't like what they're getting out of like the backup five spot, then then maybe you can you know figure something out there. But it's it's not a great market for Christian Wood at this point. Yeah, yeah. bigs who don't play big, it's it's not. I don't know. I think we've kind of figured out that that shit is not as valuable as we thought. Like it's nice that you have range out to three, and you even have some vertical spacing on on your pick and rolls. But like he just doesn't play. He, there's nothing big about. He sucks on rebounds. He can't rim protect. He's light in the shorts, so big guys push him around. Like what does he have theoretically now? PJ Washington. You know, um, if we could find a, a way to get him next to Luca, I think that would be cool. Uh, I, I I would love to see what he could do in San Antonio with that young group over there. I just think there's a myriad of teams. Obviously, Golden State is so freaking cash trapped, but I think he would be a great Golden State type of guy um, in the role that they've tried to put so many guys, right? Like, they, they tried to put Jermichael Green in sort of like the Otto Porter type of role in Golden State, like an elevated version of of what Otto Porter gave to them um, a few years ago, Uh, or a younger version. I shouldn't say elevated because Otto Porter was damn freaking good for them. Um, But yeah, those are the kind of teams that I think about for P.J. Washington because I I still think he's got potential that's been untapped. I think Christian Wood is the guy he's always going to be from now until eternity. I think P.J. Washington still has some things to give and discover about his game. Yeah, and if you are P.J. Washington, you know, the cap, the money right now is scarce enough 
you could imagine him taking a below market deal with a good team on Does a one year basis. Brown? Does he do a Bruce Brown? Like, let's see if we can make a long run where I'm a critical part of a, a contending core, you know, on the low end of that spectrum, like he could be a Phoenix Sun if he wanted to be, right? Like he mm. could he could join that group and be among that kind of minimum core. I think that's he's probably looking for more than that, both in terms of money and minutes. But for me, I love him as like, you know, replacing Trey Lyles in Sacramento as like a combo mm. four or five for them. You know, in in Miami, giving you everything Kevin Love gives you and then oh, some, on, right? Miami. They're, they're gonna they're, win the championship if him and Dame come. <laughs> Well, there are a lot of those fits out there where it's like he could slot in to kind of replace something that a more one-sided player already does. Yeah. So Washington is a restricted free agent, which makes it tougher. Very tough. The other tough tough part about this is that a lot of teams have already settled on their roster and their contracts. And thus, you would probably have to sign and trade him. It's kind of of unfair, man. Yeah, it, it is a bit of a... Uh, a mess for for the player side of thing. And so the likely scenario, he ends up back in Charlotte, but maybe it's on a short term sort of deal. And then he gets back on the open market next year. But I agree. Those are the two guys that jump out to me as well. Uh, Unless Waz, do you want to do 10 minutes on Jalen Noel? (laughs) If Jalen Noel walked into my crib and smacked me in my (laughs) face, I wouldn't recognize his game. I'm sorry. Uh, Get him uh, to Milwaukee. Milwaukee Buck, Jalen Noel. I like that. There you go. Uh, number four, Cosmic Cornerstone asked, will the Cavs' poor performance in the playoffs carry over into this season? Is Evan Mobley still on the upswing? Should, he's like 22 years old. Um, should the Cavs be worried about Donovan Mitchell asking out this year? Uh, and so Mitchell has a player option for not for the 2025-26 season. So he has functionally two seasons before that. Uh, Mobley's rookie extension would kick in the season before that. Wise, what do you think about the Cavs? I'm fascinated by their position right now because they're both still really young and their two youngest guys, studs, are super young guys. However, you know, when you finish fourth in your conference, you're a serious team, right? And so they've got both tracks, if you will, going for themselves. I think the problem, and I want to give a shout out to my man Tim Bontemps for for being the first person I heard say this. Uh, He's like, look, they should trade Donovan Mitchell. He ain't signing no extension in no damn Cleveland. And even if he did, guys, it would be at a massive overpay. And as bad as Jalen Brown People make fun of his performance, even though he was injured in the playoffs last year. He wasn't as bad as Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell was terrible in the in the playoffs last year. As awesome as he was in this regular season, you know. And early on, there was even like MVP ballot type of talk for the play that he gave them in the playoffs. He stunk up the joint. So it's like even if he would resign with you guys, to me that would be for a reason, man. Like, that would be because he stunk up to join again in the playoffs um, this coming season. And he was like, look, if, if these guys are going to max me out for five guaranteed seasons, I'll take it. Figure out a way to, you know, either <laughs> make things terrible enough that they want to move me but or just be the kind of player that they just don't see as necessary anymore. And they themselves want to move him, right? Um, and so I think that's fascinating. And then, of course... The Evan Mobley part of all of this, um, I think if Donovan Mitchell is going to be the kind of guy that he was in the playoffs last year, they need somebody else 
who isn't the smallest player on the t- on the floor to be an effective offensive player. You know, um, to even if you're not gonna be, you know, some one-on-one killer, uh, damn man, be a threat in the role game, be a threat in the pop game, be some kind of threat. Because I hear all of this talk about, oh, well, Mobley needs to do more with the ball. He needs to be an elbow facilitator. That's not gonna get it done in the playoffs, y'all. That doesn't make you a threat in the playoffs, that you're a threat to pass at the freaking elbows. I, like, he needs to do more. Even if he's not going to be off the bo- on the ball a big threat, he needs to be some kind of pick-and-roll threat. There's no doubt that Mobley has to become the kind of player whose presence is felt offensively on a much, yes. much, much more consistent basis. That is the future of the team. We've seen some bright spots for games at a time, for quarters at a time. Nothing consistent, nothing sustained. Still clearly has a lot of work to do on his body to make that happen on a more consistent basis, to be like more of a factor inside consistently. But you're right. Especially when Mitchell is your primary driver, or if you want to say Mitchell and Garland as two kind of like pretty small guards, you do need Mobley's size. You do need him to be more of an offensive factor. You need just like a more robust playmaking and creative engine if you're going to survive some of these playoff matchups. And I'm probably a little more optimistic about the Mitchell situation than you are, Waz. I mean, it sounds like you're in maybe like the bottom five percent on it's Mitchell. The, the way optimism. he played against the Knicks was was disheartening, bro. He was he was, was not good. He was not it good. It was terrible. The fact that if your best player can be trapped with that kind of ease and it takes you completely out of your offense, like you need other answers. And so the Cavs are going to have to figure that out. I'm a little more optimistic to see and encouraged to see what they do with that information, right? I think Mitchell has a lot to prove in terms of showing that he is not that kind of guy, even going back to his Utah days, showing that he can be a more evolved, a different kind of player. Garland and Mobley and Allen, all three of them, I think we have reason to think that they have not played their best playoff basketball yet. And that combination, like that is not only going to lead to a pretty strong regular season, but I think could lead to a more successful playoff run. They just have to prove it. And they're, they're going to have to prove it. And it's going to hang over them all year long until they can get back into the first round. And we'll see kind of what they look like when they get hit in the mouth again. But man, that team, they, they really do have a lot to prove for a, a, you know what was a fourth ranked team in the East. And what honestly, given the fact that they brought in a little more shooting, they could have an amazing regular season and still have huge, huge questions. Yeah. yeah and, but- I, and, and I think, sorry, just just one more thing on the Mobley front. I, I, I'm not somebody that's like, oh, tomorrow... He needs to come out and be Dirk or, or even, you know, because he's gotten a comp a lot. Chris Bosh. I, I don't think so. I, I think the guys that he plays with are dynamic enough in the pick and roll. If he can just do what Wiggins does, where you can't put a little guy on him or he'll post him up, get fouled or score. Like, do that. Be strong enough. Have enough presence enough um, with the ball close to the basket where you need to be filed, fouled when somebody who's not like-sized is guarding you down in a big, big spot. He needs to at least get to that level, you know, because in the playoffs, he had nothing. He had bubkis. <laughs> Sorry, I was watching Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> I think the big question is, what is the runway with Mitchell? Because I believe he's extension eligible sometime in the fall before the season. And so... Are you getting one season with him? In that case, a lot of the things that... Well, if you, if, you, if you get two, do you have to trade him during that second season in order to recoup some of the value that you gave up to the Jazz yeah, in the first Quite place? a lot of value, we should add. And so those questions about Evan Mobley, can he put it together? Now it's like, can you do it next season? 
like your third season and be an impact offensive player, I would be doubtful, even if he makes progress in that area. And two, it's like, what are we doing with the front court? It seems like that's a successful pairing defensively in the regular season. But as we saw, Jared Allen was probably more of a pumpkin, more bupkis than our friend Evan Mobley was uh, in the playoffs possibly. And I do wonder if the future there is like, well, we can't play them together. Then we have to put Mobley at center. He probably needs like two to three years of development physically in order to be able to man that. And then it's like, who do we put on the wing to fill in that spot? Well, we have Max Struess. Do we have enough guys in addition to him to really put together the type of offensive oomph lineup in a small ball lineup? And so like, there's a lot of things that are coming to the fore, I think quicker than the Cavs would like, which is leading me to be on Waz's side of the thing where it's like, this might get actually more dire more quickly than we think. I think that's always the case. I think it's always the case if you're an up-and-coming team, especially a smaller market team. This stuff can get away from you very, very quickly if you're not careful. Well, it is, but they put themselves in this situation by totally. trading from Mitchell. They inherited, they willingly inherited this problem. I think the Mitchell trade was justified, though. I think it was a great idea to, to actually up the level of your capabilities and your expectations for your young guys who you believe are are franchise cornerstones. I just think you got to have the, the the stones to be like, you know what? We'll deal him next summer while he's on an expiring deal. You know? Um and 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 believe that we'll be able to get something that there will be teams on the market. And I, I man, I think they will, dude. I really do. I I I think Donovan Mitchell will still be covered. I think his CAA connections yeah. will still matter. <laughs> um, That's the question, though. Like, what? Are, I think you're right. I think that is the big question. What are they going to recruit by trading Mitchell again? Are the Knicks just going to be like, we'll give you like a, a quickly in like a pick because we know he's going to come to them? Or is it going to be multiple picks that actually restock the coffers? Because you missed out like prime developmental years one with Mobley, maybe letting him play through mistakes more than he would on uh, a, a burst team, right? But also the draft picks that you would need to come to four when he is already at like a certain level. You basically don't have the next guy coming up. Like, so, okay, so they traded Mitchell, right? Who else is Mobley playing with beyond Garland? It's really him and Garland and then what? And are they going to be too good to even be so bad in order to get the type of premier players in there see, to be a number three or number four? That, see, it, but to me, to me, the, like this question answers itself. If this guy becomes the type of player that you need to be worried about, oh, who are we put next to him? Oh my God, we got to panic. Then it's not going to be that hard to put quality guys next to him in well, order to win. Is it free agency? Because guys don't typically go to, to Cleveland and we're saying that they might not be bad enough in order to draft those guys. So how is it happening? Yeah. I mean, sure, maybe the free agent won't be as good as Donovan Mitchell, but I bet you he's cheaper too. You know what I mean? Like to, to me, that's that's the question. It's like if we're not able to reach these heights with Donovan Mitchell and Mobley being who he is, then maybe he's just the type of cat that you don't need to be pressed about impressing. Like to me, that's that's what it that's what it is. You know. And again, if you get quickly in a pick for Donovan Mitchell next summer, a pick from the Knicks. Hell yeah, that's a good return. <laughs> Are you shitting me? That's a great return. Something in the future from the Knicks, you'll be able to to get to recoup some stuff from that. I, I just think they should definitely. I don't think it should be one year 
Mitchell stunk up the joint in the, in the biggest moment and move on, right? Like, be like, yo, this summer, yo, we're putting this guy on the block. I think they should try to see how their guys grow, how their guys not only grow as players, but grow into their roles within the team, man. Like, there's something to playing in those big-ass spots in MSG and gaining that, that level of experience that I think they can grow from, right? And, and I'm excited to see what they do. But I think the Mitchell question is, is interesting because people in the know seem to think there's just no way this guy's going to sign a contract to be a Cleveland Cavalier long-term. You know, he's had these big city, you know, bright light aspirations for himself for so long. And I'm fascinated to see how this thing plays out because of that. Yeah, I think... You do want to play it out a little longer along those lines. If you need to trade him eventually, maybe that's a different conversation we can have. But if the contingencies we're talking about for the Cavs from a team building standpoint are what happens if Mobley and Garland don't pan out, the answer, no matter what path you take, is they're kind of fucked. And like that was going to be true before Donovan Mitchell. It's going to be true even if they have to trade Donovan Mitchell. Like If those two guys are not real deal, excellent high-level playoff performers, their whole plan was going to be scrambled. See, but I don't think that's the question. I think the question is, what do they do in addition to those two guys? I think we would all agree that those seem like future all-stars. Garland is, yeah, is already, already. there. It's just like, how does the next wave come in, in to support them? And so I actually applaud the Cavs for taking the unconventional route and trading for Mitchell. I thought it was a really interesting idea, especially because Mitchell supplemented what they already had in a way that Gobert and to a certain extent, DeJounte Murray did not. But I think this is why you see small market teams typically take the conservative path because of things like this, where they can't hold on to the superstar they traded from. And all of a sudden they have to not necessarily start from scratch, but start from the lower middle. But but to me, the question is, when is Mobley going to be as good as Bam Adebayo is right now? We're not asking him to be Embiid and Jokic and Giannis. And it's like, be a real all-star player. When is he going to be that? Yeah, and that's also a, a, a thing that I would say maybe they overestimated. Maybe they assumed... When is he going to be as good as Jaron Jackson is? Because these are the guys that people are alleging... You know, yeah. people that I love that I podcast with on a week-to-week basis are alleging <laughs> that he's on his way to becoming. When is he going to do that shit? You know, those guys have kind of shown it. I would be surprised if he's not at that level within two years. And it could be this mm. year. Like, may- maybe he is a mm. guy who just, like, all of a sudden it pops and it starts to make mm. sense for him and he hits in a different way. I would be a little surprised if that happens this upcoming season just because I think we need to see a turn in disposition in addition to like a turn in skill level and a turn in all these other things like, you know, broadening his range, all that stuff. But if in two years he is not that level of player, we have hit a roadblock somewhere. Yeah. We need yeah, to do Because Jaron Jackson podcasts, is an yeah. all NBA guy. And yeah. I know that Evan Mobley is like some mixture of Bill Russell and Kevin Garnett and all yep. that on defense. And we get he, it. He's, he, he's, just he's Bill generational. Russell stacked on top of Kevin Garnett, like on his shoulders. Right, that's exactly. Evan <laughs> However, Jaron Jackson is capable of dropping 30 in a playoff game. Yeah. Even without Davis. Yeah. Even without you know a, a I mean? primary creator. Like this. Ah, hey, man. Where was Jaron Jackson two years into his career? Yeah. Like, I think he got hurt his third year. Yeah. So it took him probably four years until we know for sure. And obviously I think like, the defense came along more quickly, but he was also, I think, a little bit bigger than Mobley was coming into the league, so the physical aspect. Definitely. Mobley, he got some work to do, y'all. 
It's true. Maybe you can get into the gym with Waz. Gotta put, uh, yeah, I got a hard hat in my closet right now. I'll, <laughs> I'll bring it to <laughs> Get down in the mud, down in the dirt, y'all. <laughs> uh, all right, let's do two more. Uh, this is going to be a long episode, but it's a summer one. Just, just put it on when you're, you're going to the beach or something. Um, <laughs> number five, Ben Crabb. Can you build a true championship contender around the Kyrie Luka backcourt or are their defensive limitations impossible to overcome? Who is the ideal center of the Mavs could reasonably acquire to pay, uh, pair with Grant Williams in the front court within the next two off seasons? Rob reporting from Texas. So I don't think it's just the defensive limitations, which is kind of the problem, right? It's like, these guys are not great defenders. I think Luka can be better when he wants to be. And honestly, Kyrie can too. When he digs in, he can be a, a perfectly adequate and sometimes pretty effective defender. But really, that stuff is a factor. And then there's like the larger team building questions of That's how do you even get better players alongside them right now? There's the habits of Luka and Kyrie. There's the chemistry of like Luka's play style plus Kyrie's like come and go non-committal attitude to even being a professional basketball player. All of that stuff is complicated. And that's kind of what makes this, to me, a lot more difficult than like, can these guys be part of a functional or, or high level or contending level defense? The ideal center would be Bam Adebayo. Mm. He's not gettable. The ideal center they could reasonably acquire is more like Jakob Pertle, Miles Turner, Rob Williams, maybe, if you want to take that kind of injury risk. But you're seeing the distinction between those kinds of players, right? You're, you're getting into a very, very different category between what you want and what you might have to settle for. And that's what the Kyrie Luka era is ultimately going to be, is they're going to have to they're going to have to settle for some things and they're going to have to find ways to make it work if they want to contend with the rest of these you know, pretty high level teams in the West right now. Yeah, I think the, the Rob's team building point is is the point. Kyrie's contract like 40 million per or whatever it is, is actually right at the level that he played at last year when he got to the Mavs. Just an insanely elite, you know, um, usage on offense, efficient scoring type of hub. However, he's overqualified for his position on the Mavs. And so just because he's paid... Um, uh, what he for what he actually does, he's not going to be doing it all the time on this team. You needed somebody who was cheaper, who could you know be like you know slightly better than whatever Spencer Dinwiddie does, or um, you know, and it's been said a trillion times. <laughs> You need a Jalen Brunson. Yeah. It hurts to say, but it's true. <laughs> you know, and so that you could allocate that extra seventeen million per towards guys that play defense. You know what I mean? That that are going to get after it. And the fact that you can't do that now, because you have Kyrie, you're going to have to be genius level at bringing in the kind of guys who can, you know, strap up on defense. And let's face it, you ain't got to be George Gervin on offense when you're playing with Luka. Like, Luka's going to make you into a competent offensive player because he's that great. But now it's just going to be that much harder, you know, to find these guys out there. Like, y'all not y'all don't have the heat track record of going out and getting Gabe Vincents and Max Struces and Caleb Martins and Josh Richardsons and, but you know, did find all of these Smith. guys. You know, they've had a few gems. They've that had they some hits for nerd. sure. They did. They did. Yeah. Also worth noting in, in this larger conversation, 
I think our, our perception of what defense is and what it means in the modern NBA can get a little skewed. Offense wins championships. If we're talking about what's going to make the Mavs a contender, it's going to be scoring their asses off. I mean, a team with Nikola Jokic as its center just won the title. You don't have to have Bam out of bio necessarily. You don't have to have Joel Embiid. He's, I thought he was like Hakeem Olajuwon at center he is. now. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what I meant. Yeah, right. Shouts to Michael the Pod Pina. <laughs> I'll say this: I'm glad you brought that up. I think the Mavs can be really good next year, at least in the regular season. If Luka just shows up healthy and doesn't get injured and what is it, World Cup this summer? We're getting reports that he's in the best shape of his life. That's That's what we're hearing. All we need to hear, man. Just like limit the the beer to like one night a week and just What about the hookah? The shisha. (laughs) How much of that are we doing per night? I think you have more experience on that end, so I'll I'll leave that to you. I just think they have enough these days uh, with this lineup. A couple of intriguing young guys. I'm curious to see how Josh Green, for instance, like like fits into that like number three like small forward role. We'll see. I think Grant Williams empowered as being like somewhat of a lunatic, like without having to deal with the restraints of whatever uh, like short leash of, of Joe Missoula is going to be really interesting. I could see them easily being like a top four seed in the West next season. If anything, they I feel like more than a big or more than a center, I just want them to get some longer wings. That's kind of where my concern level is. And yeah. they have, you know, they just have, they're a very guard-heavy roster right now. And I like a lot of those guards. You know, the Seth Curry edition, I thought was really smart. You know, putting up the Danny Chow, bad signal here, but Dante Exum is back in the NBA. I'm very curious to see how he fits into all this mess. But I, I like a lot of the pieces that they have. I know they need a big. I know you would love to get a backbone defensive big at this stage. But, you know, they could they could go in a couple different directions and still be pretty successful because Luka and Kyrie are so talented. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of backbone defensive bigs, this brings us to our friend Chet Holmgren for our last question. Number six, Kevin San Miguel adding Chet plus this year's picks to last year's play in team. How excited should I be about my Thunder this season specifically? Rob, I mean, pretty freaking excited, you know, I think the Thunder are going to be a top six team in the West this year. Good enough to Mm. spare themselves the play in, you know, Mm. but you got Shea being one of the best players in the world. You've got Josh Giddy really growing over the course of the last two years, but last year in particular, Jalen Williams is probably like the biggest wild card development candidate in the NBA right now in terms of a guy that could just take a leap at almost any time. Both. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not going to begrudge any Jalen Williams at the expense of the other. Uh, and, you know, like those guys are all backed up by a very smart, very hard playing team of mostly young players and Chet and some rookies and flyers. who I really like like I'm really bullish on what that combination of guys can do this season. So I think that the Thunder's ceiling is the Jordan Bulls. OK, I, yeah. I think that. Yeah, I think. No, Agreed. I I, I I do think the world of them, maybe not that much, but I do think that the future is very broad there. I think if you were to play devil's advocate, I do wonder if, yes, they have depth and all of these intriguing guys. I do wonder if a lot of the guys that they're relying on and now working into the mix are still young themselves. And I do wonder if at a certain point, there's only so far you can go playing through the mistakes of like a case in Wallace who looked pretty good in the summer league, Chet Holmgren in functionally his first NBA season. And you have a lot of guys that you're still trying to play through mistakes. And so I'm tempered in my optimism, trying very desperately to. I think they're going to be very good eventually. I wonder if next season, if the improvement is more like five to six wins, not necessarily 10 to 15. 
10 to 15 is a lot, but I, I would expect somewhere in the middle, like an eight, an eight win bump, which for a team that was already pretty good is, is incredibly meaningful, but you never know. Like maybe, maybe the, uh, the, the veteran know-how of your Davis Bertans, Justin, I think you're really, you know, you're really discounting the things that matter here. Ken Rich Williams back in the mix. <laughs> I mean, he's always around. He wants to be around. He loves it. He loves being a thunder. <laughs> um, Waz, where are you on the thunder? Yeah, I, I think you should be excited in the sense that the lion's share of the young guys seem to be competent, right? Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander is already a first team All NBA. Like that's like having somebody of that caliber on your team is enough to be excited about. I think what's going to be interesting is how the young guys, the the guys who aren't Shea, figure out their roles and the pecking order within this team because there's a lot of them. Um, and how the team ultimately becomes great is that, you know, KD becomes your number one, Russ becomes the clear number two, Harden anchors the bench, and Ibaka's your defensive specialist, right? Like, those guys had clear, defined roles, which eventually broke up the team, but, you know, when they were cooking as young guys, their roles became defined. If there was never no question of, well, should James be starting at point guard? Even though, in hindsight, we realized that he should have. Um, you know, but there was never that conversation in real time. The roles were what they were, and that's why they were able to get to the freaking NBA Finals behind that. I wonder if their young guys are going to be able to figure out and you know, ease into who they are within the pecking order and be the best player that they can be within said role. I'm glad you brought up Thunder teams of old because if you think about that run when they went to the finals in 2012, two seasons before that, before that season, is when they really popped. They jumped from 23 wins to 50 wins. This Thunder team is not ready for that kind of jump. For one, they just weren't bad enough to make that kind of jump to begin with. But in terms of like, could they get to that 50 win level? I think they have it in them. And, you know, that ultimately means probably like bumping up against a team in the first round like that Thunder team did uh, in, in 2010 against the Lakers, where it's just like you're not quite ready to, to advance in the playoffs but you're ready to get there and you're ready to have a really strong regular season to kind of really position yourself well for the future. Yeah, I think the one interesting character in the mix here is going to be Giddy because on the one hand, he seemed to exemplify all of what we liked about the Thunder last year. It's like positionless. Anyone can attack off the dribble. They're running. Like it, it was just like a fun style of basketball that I think he very much reflected uh, and, and added to. But then you have to start wondering, well, can Chet Holmgren take the pounding of being a full-time five with Jalen Williams, Jay Will next to him? No, wait, is it J-Dub? J-Dub is, is the rookie of the year candidate last year, right? Go I'm just going to let you twist in the wind the on this dude one. dude who takes the charges is not J-Dub. That's J-Will. Okay, so they might have to play J-Will as a bigger four in order to protect him. You have to lose someone from the starting lineup. Is that going to be Dort? It's probably most likely going to be Giddy. How does he like take that? What does it do to the overall just approach of the team? Um, and long-term, like where does he fit into the mix if you do want to keep playing like that? So they have a lot of questions still to figure out here, but they're the fun type. Like these are good type of problems to have that I'm, that I'm really looking for forward now. to seeing them figure out. Yeah, the, the questions for the Thunder are not like, are our guys talented? It's do our guys fit in a way that's going to be conducive to contending basketball? And so lots of, lots of opportunities, lots of avenues going forward. We'll see who's actually on the Thunder in three years because not only do they have all these talented young players and some good flyers who could really pop for them, 
but obviously they have all these picks as well. And so they will be a natural trade candidate whenever they are ready to kind of push, push the throttle forward and accelerate. If, yeah. if, if the Thunder come out and with all this athleticism and length are able to guard the hell out of people this year, then, you know, sky's the limit for what they do in the future. So if it's not the Thunder taking the biggest leap next season in terms of wins, so they had 40 last year, they finished ninth in the West. Which team do you think will take the That's biggest easy. leap? That's easy. That's Indiana, baby. Indiana. That's Indy. Um, yeah, I think it's Indiana because... 35 they, wins last year. Yeah, I, I think they can easily get to 45, 46, 47, 48, like easily. And that's because at the end of the year, Halliburton didn't play, right? And so they became a really bad team once he was not around. Um, but I think he's going he's gonna to come back better than ever. You know, new deal in tow. Matherin, another year of development. Obviously, one of my favorite guys. Um, of course, <laughs> pod favorite, Miles Turner's back. I'm obsessed with the Obi Toppin um, addition. That's Obviously, a great ad. Brucey e. B. Come on now. Like, this team is going to be very, very, very good next year. And, and yeah, I'm slotting them in for a solid 47, 46 wins. <sighs> That's a lot. 47 wins for the yeah. Pacers. Yeah. I'll say this. It's easier in the West than it's or in the East than it's going to be in the West. My problem Definitely. with picking a team for the West is just that there's going to be so much competition and there are so many teams that like if one minor thing goes the right way, all of a sudden that team could easily be like the succeed, like the Pelicans with Zion actually playing are a prime example of that. So I could see the, the Pacers taking a big jump. I think they could take a jump, but... The Miami Heat won 44 games last season and might get Damian Lillard. Oh, that's an easy one, though. They play in a division with Orlando and Charlotte and and Washington. The future of the NBA, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I just, I could easily see them making a huge jump. If we're talking, like, strictly wins and losses, they feel like a team that's destined for the, like, 50, 54 to 58 wins club, which is honestly, in, in this era of the NBA, like, a pretty exclusive group. It's, yeah, for real. Uh, so the Suns are definitely in that same mix where full season of, of Kevin Durant and Bradley yeah, Beal. Yeah, sure. For, for sure. A lot of, a lot of health, health questions with them, though, Like if depending on who's healthy for the whole run for, for Phoenix. Uh, the Lakers, I imagine, will be a, a really good regular season team. 43 wins last year. I the Pelicans down, like I said, the Thunder. Dallas is probably the team I would pick just because yeah. I'm pretty high on them next year. And I also have the Pacers. So those are the teams I had. Um all right, it's time for a special part of today's show brought to you by Michelob Ultra. You know what they say, no pain, no gain. But hard work doesn't have to come at the expense of fun. It's all about balance. Like the balance and refreshing flavor of Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. So let's talk about who's putting in the work, but enjoying the journey. I did want to talk about leaps, but I wanted to talk about players instead of teams here. So I have some guys down, but Rob... Who do you think is the player that could take the biggest leap in next season? For me, it's Cade Cunningham. And it's a combination of just has not been healthy enough to actually be on the floor yet to actually make any kind of leap. But especially like how he's going to put it all together with a slightly more complete team, with a slightly better supporting cast. He's exactly the kind of processor and playmaker you want to just get reps on the floor. And I'm, God, I'm really hoping this is the year for him to... Uh, to not to, to be out there and enjoy it for once, to actually get to play through a full NBA regular season. I'm going to throw you guys a curveball because of some of my previous comments in the past, but I'm going to go with Jabari Smith. 
Mm. Um, I like the idea that he's got a point guard, a real point guard in Fred Van Vliet on the team this year. And more importantly, the coach is going to have the gravitas to emphasize actual NBA basketball on offense, organization, you know, team concepts, playing for one another. Uh, and I think he's going to be the direct beneficiary of that new mindset. And plus, he killed everybody in Summer League, which you guys know means everything um, in the NBA. And so, yeah, Jabari Smith taking a big leap next season. Also has Dylan Brooks there to rear him and steward him through all the disciplinarian. The tough Nobody's caretaker. more disciplined than that guy. <laughs> Could help him with his vest selection. Uh, I have a couple <laughs> guys down here on the high end. I'd say Ty uh, Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Edwards. I could see both of those guys going mm. from All Star or fringe All Star to Superstar yeah. next mm -hmm. year. Um, I have down in the lower tier Scotty Barnes, if only because. He might get the opportunity to finally showcase that, despite Waz's uh, general pessimism about our friend up north there. Uh, Paolo Bancaro, Cade Cunningham. And I also have most of the, the Rockets uh, roster, in addition to Jabari Smith, like Jalen Green. Is he going to be a player? Men Thompson. There's like, there's 30 of those guys there. And also a personal favorite on the group chat podcast, Christian Brown. Get in that first Brown role. Let's go. Finally gets to develop into uh, the star that he will ultimately become here as we The know. player that is ultimately here to save us. <laughs> well, you know, Waz, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. That's the philosophy behind Michelob Ultra. Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Learn more at MichelobUltra.com. Must be 21 years of age. Enjoy responsibly. All right. I think that's it for us. Guys, any big plans on the docket? Over the offseason, we're probably not back until until the season starts to go wise immediately. No, no big smiles. plans. No, no big plans until Sweden, guys. Yeah. We're going to yeah. Sweden together, guys. And so, yeah, really pumped about that. Can't wait to go to Stockholm for the first time in my life and do some team bonding with the fellas, man. It's going to be great. Ben Cruz is going to be there. Isaiah Blakely went with the cool crew. He um, abandoned on us. The first Let's be round, honest about so it. So he won't be down with us. But we're going to get some things done down there, man. I'm excited about it. We're all going to spend more time together in consecutive days in Sweden that we ever had after, like, in the midst of recording this podcast for like two years together. Right. So that'll be fun. How do you how do you feel about that, Justin? Awful. I don't want to see you in person ever. <laughs> wow, was not expecting that. Don't come near my 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 Danish croissants. You know, you're treating me like a fan of this show. That's very rude. Uh, but yeah, no, that that'll be fun. Um, so we'll be back, I think, probably in about a month or so. Ringer NBA show feed will be ongoing with different episodes, checking in on, on the latest news. But our vacations just don't happen to overlap at the point where we would we would check in. But we'll be back. Thanks, everyone, for listening this season. Uh, looking forward to next season. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely on production. We stole him away from his his rising success on the Rewatchables uh, and in his, his 90s movies critiques. Thank you to Brendan Cruz. Uh, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.